tell you what, let's get going with another edition of Midday here on the Rural Radio Network. It's number five for the week, Friday, to round it all out. Plenty of information here. Just because it's sliding into the weekend doesn't mean that we're sliding. It means that we've got people all over the place talking about everything that's going on, including people, when we say in the field, we really do mean in the field, don't we, Susan? Yeah, we do. I was just out there doing a, a rain dance, hoping it brings some showers my way. <laughs> and it's Fridays in the field. Tell us what we're going to be hearing. It is. We're going to, of course, hear from Chad Moyer as we head up to the northeast part of the state in Hooper, Nebraska. An interesting operation that does a variety of, of crops and raising of livestock. So you'll, you'll hear more about that at 117. Backtrack to 1245, the Legislative Affairs for the Nebraska Cattlemen, the Vice President Laura Field, talks about how they're working with the Nebraska State Patrol in some protocol for livestock hauling. That's going to be with Shaley Peters. And then we'll go to 1219, where it is all about the weather with Al Dutcher. So a busy Friday for all of us in the farm team. Absolutely. You know, there's going to be some people who take issue with you about that pronunciation. Uh, Dave Schroeder, I, I know, know. You're, you're the advocate for what the... What the <laughs> my, my colleague from Northeast Nebraska says Hupper. Hupper. I know, and I've, I've heard it two different ways, so... Yes. You know, right. It depends on where you're from and where you're at, that's for sure. <laughs> and where exactly. you're at. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I've always uh, been tempted to have a Hupperware party, but I'm not sure where <laughs> <laughs> All right, Susan, thanks very much. Over to Jason Jorgensen on sports. There is a lot of stuff to talk about in sports. Tonight we could see LeBron James in his final game as a Cleveland Cavalier yeah. if they go down in flames tonight, if Golden State is able to... Pick up the sweep against the Cavs. Also, the NCAA baseball tournament is continuing on with super regional action. If you're looking for a team to cheer for, how about Minnesota Golden Gophers from the Big Ten? They've had a wonderful season. They are on the road at Perennial Power, Oregon State, and the first of a best of three of that particular series. After all, they are golden. So They, they are. Let's they get behind them, Big Ten. <laughs> They have uh, they've had quite the season, and there are some certainly some Nebraska connections with that particular team. Also, former Nebraska athletic director Sean Eichhorst has found new employment. He will be a senior associate athletic director at Texas, of all places. So he heads south to kind of help out the Longhorns. Senior associate. That's just part of it. His his title, and I'll have it in sports. I, it's pretty long. Okay. I think it's senior associate athletic director for internal affairs. I, I hate it when the email has more underneath the thank you. Amen. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. Preach on. Preach on, Brother Dirk. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you heard the familiar dulcet tones of Dave Schroeder in for Bob Brogan. Yes, uh, oil prices are moving lower. The benchmark U.S. crude slitting uh, 0.2% in New York, and the international marker Brent crude as fell as well. Stock indices are drifting mostly lower today, trading on Wall Street as technology companies continue to fall. And an economic forecast uh, predicts Nebraska farm income will drop nearly 7% this year before rebounding in 2019 and 20. Well, we don't need to hear that. You can just hold that story for some time when we're in a better mood. How about I'll that? I'll slide that towards the bottom of the right. of the report. And don't forget, everybody, Al Dutcher will be coming up with a look at how weather and climate is shaping up for us in this early growing season. All part of Midday on the Rural Radio Network.
Here we go into Friday and a weekend, and we'll find out what it holds in store with our regional ag weather. Paul Perkins brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. We do have that potential of some severe weather. Now they keep lowering that severe weather threat farther and farther south. Earlier this morning, it was pretty much across the old northern third of Nebraska. Now it's along in north of I-80. Now, when you say lowering it, you don't mean less chances. You mean that it's actually physically getting lower, further south on the map. Exactly. Yeah, geographically, they keep lowering, uh, pushing it farther and farther south uh-huh. along in north of I-80 now. We are in a slight risk for some severe storms, and as you head into north-central Nebraska, there's an enhanced risk of severe storms for those areas. Okay, well, let's uh, find out what and where and when. Do you have any ideas? Probably uh, by, mainly into tonight, into the evening and overnight hours is when we're going to see that main severe weather threat, and the chance for some thunderstorms for the time being today going to be on the hot and humid side. And when they talked about the movement of it, they talked about actually starting out kind of moving in a westerly and then coming back around to southeast, right? Well, actually, no. It's going to be coming out of the Dakotas and also from the west. So, so we're going to get a couple of chances from some storms in the Dakotas and also some thunderstorms from the high plains that oh, could be moving into the area. Okay. And, and we could see some uh, severe activity with those storms that do move in. But, yeah, expecting some thunderstorms to develop across the high plains and the Dakotas and move towards the east and southeast as time so goes on. we are squeezed tonight. in the middle. I'll let you talk. <laughs> okay. We do have some uh, steamy conditions already across the area. Most of us with temperatures right around 80 and if you walk outside you'll notice that humidity is there the dew point into the mid to upper 60s and many locations that's thanks to being underneath the ridge of high pressure that's anchored over the southern plains we're kind of right on the edge of that ridge of high pressure so anchored over the southern plains that's going to keep today through the weekend mainly dry with some hot and humid conditions now some scattered thunderstorms are possible mainly tonight. They'll start to develop in the South Dakota area and also to our west and then track towards the southeast. Some of those storms could be severe with wind and hail as the main threats. And like we were mentioning earlier, that greatest risk of severe weather keeps getting pushed farther and farther south. So now the greater risk of severe weather is along and north of I-80. Once again, along and north of I-80, we do have a slight risk of severe storms. And then as you head into north-central Nebraska, there's an enhanced risk of severe thunderstorms. And that's where there's also a higher risk of wind damage in north-central Nebraska as some storms drop out of South Dakota and collapse. And when they do collapse, you get those gusty winds. And that's where we once again could see some enhanced wind damage potential into northern Nebraska. Temperatures warm even more, and thunderstorm dew chances do decrease over the weekend as that ridge of high pressure builds farther north. More seasonal temperatures, though, arrive next week as low pressure tracks across the northern plains and breaks down that ridge. Thunderstorm chances return by Wednesday and Thursday as we see an approaching disturbance come up from the southwest. In our long-term forecast, after an indication yesterday that the later periods were going to turn cooler, there's now been a change back to a warmer outlook. Nebraska and Kansas temperatures look to hold on to the warmer-than-normal temperatures for Wednesday through the first day of summer, which is on June 21st this year. Mid-June daytime highs in central Nebraska are usually in the low 80s with average overnight lows near 60. Near normal rainfall starts the forecast the middle of next week for Nebraska and Kansas. It's expected to be above normal rainfall late next week through the 21st, so at least we're not going to dry out with this heat. Weather factors in the markets include a still favorable Midwest pattern and dry 
uh, a still favorable Midwest pattern, and then dry conditions across the Black Sea region. A nearly nationwide spell of hot weather will end over the weekend with the arrival of cool air across the northern plains. But early next week, warm air starts to return across the far west. An active pattern across the Midwest and southeast should lead to about 1 to 3 inch rain totals over the next five days. The active pattern in the Midwest will benefit the developing corn and soybeans through the next 7 to 10 days and offset any warmer than normal temperatures in the northern plains crop areas. The conditions continue to be beneficial for development of spring wheat, corn, and soybeans. It's a different story, though, in the southern plains. Hot weather and limited rain continue to stress immature wheat and also summer crops over Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas while favoring some early wheat harvest. Russia and Ukraine wheat has mostly favorable conditions currently, but Yield prospects have been trimmed back by recent early season heat and short-term dryness. There's been a less than they've had less than 50 percent of normal rainfall over the last 60 days over western and southern growing areas of once again Russia and Ukraine, where a lot of wheat is grown. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that'll affect certainly the market outlook. And our weather watch, of course, brought to you this hour by Holdridge Irrigation as we head on into the 80s and probably up to the low 90s before the day is out. Yep, definitely on the hot and humid side, and even hotter tomorrow. A lot of us into the mid to upper 90s, and on it, by, especially by Sunday across the area. All right, very good. We'll remind you that uh, if we get any storms that do pop, that we will be on top of it with our Storm Center coverage. And when you need weather anytime, you can go to krbn.com. promised. Senate Agriculture Committee leaders find common ground in bipartisan farm bill. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Let's take a midday look at Ag News for a Friday. U.S. Senate Agriculture Committee Chairman Pat Roberts, a Republican from Kansas and ranking member Debbie Stabenow, a Democrat from Michigan, just released the Agriculture Improvement Act of 2018. The committee will meet to consider the legislation at 9.30 Eastern Time on June 13th. The Agriculture Improvement Act of 2018 provides certainty and predictability for producers across all regions, as well as those in need of assistance, by providing certainty for farmers, ranchers, and growers, strengthening integrity and food access for families, strengthening voluntary conservation and forest management, investing in rural America, and growing the diversity of the American agricultural economy. For a breakdown of those individual points, as well as the legislation and section-by-section summary, you can visit RuralRadio.com. And words have meaning, as evident by recent action at the World Animal Health Organization. Chad Moyer has more. The OIE recently considered therapeutic and non-therapeutic uses of antibiotics. National Pork Producers Council Chief Veterinarian Dr. Liz Wagstrom says delegates were hung up on whether disease prevention is or is not therapeutic. And in the end, they decided to use a different term. They finally compromised to define veterinary medical uses as disease treatment control and prevention and non-veterinary medical uses as growth promotion. So we kept the groupings the same that we wanted. You'd clearly define that prevention is a medical use of these antibiotics. So in the long run, when we look at those international standard setting agencies and standards, we think this will be helpful. Dr. Wagstrom says changing therapeutic to veterinary medical use does not conflict with FDA regulations, and it fits nicely within the veterinary feed directive. 
For the Rural Radio Network, Chad Moyer reporting. And when you think of ag research, you think of constant change. That includes researching distillers' dry grains. Bruce Gorder has more. Animal science professor Galen Erickson of UNL has researched the DDGs for over 10 years now, and he talks about the changes. Well, you know, we've done a lot of work over the last 10 years, and it's sort of evolved. Early on, it was it was fairly well-priced, and, and we wanted to think that, well, it was the most cheapest source of energy, and so our focus was how much can you use and how do you optimize the use and what kind of diet does it fit in. More recently, um, you know, there's been, it, it's been a little bit more expensive as a proportion of corn. And of course, that varies from time of year. But it's been more focused on, you know, new processes that some plants are doing. Everybody's aware now that many plants are taking out a portion of the oil. And so it's been mostly how does that, how does that feed now and how did it change and what are the implications for the beef producers that are using it? Professor Galen Erickson of UNL, and I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. And U.S. producers can sell pork legs and shoulders to Mexico via an import quota despite retaliatory measures taken this week after U.S. President Donald Trump imposed tariffs on steel and aluminum, the Mexican government said yesterday. Due to the country's high consumption of pork legs and shoulders, Mexico created a quota for 350,000 tons that could be imported without tariffs. It was not previously clear that the quota would apply to imports from the United States. You're listening to Ag News on the Rural Radio Network. It's time again this week to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. I'm Shaley Peters with you on the Rural Radio Network. And Al, parts of the state receiving some pretty severe weather earlier in the week, but for the most part, most of the state missing out on some of that rain. What can we expect weather-wise headed into this weekend and next week? Well, once again, we have a little bit bit of a convoluted forecast, just like last weekend, dealing with another upper air trough from the western United States that's going to be sliding across the northern Plains region. And the models right now, especially SPC, the Severe Storms Laboratory, is essentially looking at the possibility of a moderate outbreak of severe weather, particularly centered over north-central Nebraska. Now, the newest updates will be coming in the next half hour to see if they change the position of that expected uh, severe weather area. And I wouldn't be surprised that it will shift slightly more, maybe more toward northeast Nebraska. But bottom line is, is that as the energy from this trough starts to move out into the northern plains, there should be some thunderstorm development in the late afternoon hours across extreme northern Nebraska. And the models keep that uh, pretty much confined to that region and, and then expand it as it moves toward northeast Nebraska in the overnight hours. Now, the new thing on the model is, at least from this model's morning's run, is that some of that shift toward appears that it may occur during the overnight hour potentially giving southeast nebraska a decent shot of moisture nothing widespread and heavy but at least some moisture looks to be in the cards but that basically is also signifying that as that trough moves across the northern plains and toward the great lakes region that that heat from the southern plains is going to be able to build into our region and we are expecting a fairly warm weekend basically 90s across the state and the big question will be will we preach reach the 100 degree mark particularly if we get into saturday sunday afternoon and monday where the warmest of the temperatures are expected i do expect that we will see some stress basically with the cattle 
uh, due to the higher humidity levels. Uh, wind speeds are, are still an open-ended question. I think they'll be strongest as we go into the early part of this weekend. And then once again, as we get into Monday afternoon, as we see uh, some more energy trying to move into the Pacific Northwest and eventually again moving across the northern plains, that might represent for us our best shot at a cool down. The models on the timing point have basically moved up that cooling trend slightly but they're not bringing it as far southward as yesterday's run. So it looks like most of the cooler air will be confined to the northern plains and the Great Lakes with eastern Nebraska on the western and southwest periphery of that cooler air mass that will develop during the second half of next week across the eastern Corn Belt. So from yesterday's model runs, when they had the development of that cool air, they had pushed that cold air all the way down into Oklahoma and Texas, and that's where they had the interaction with the warm air mass to the south and thunderstorm developing. Today's runs has lifted that up toward Nebraska. So if we are fortunate, we may see some active weather, particularly if that high-pressure system locks into place over the Great Lakes region for several days. That would provide us at least with uh, a decent shot of moisture as we intersect these two competing air masses. And then as that system breaks down, of course, we'll see that warm air begin to rebuild back into our region, particularly as we get into late next week and into the weekend. Uh, that will also have the ability, just like these passages with that ridge building, to have what we call ridge runners moving along the periphery of that ridge and developing thunderstorms that, once again, would favor the northern half of the state. All right. Thanks so much. It's Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. For more, you can visit RuralRadio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Midday continues on the Rural Radio Network as we check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, the NCAA Super Regionals in baseball start up today. Of course, winners of the best of three Super Regionals advance on to the CWS next week in Omaha. Super Regionals that start up today include Minnesota at Oregon State, Stetson plays at North Carolina, it's Cal State Fullerton hosting Washington, and it's Mississippi State at Vanderbilt. Justified turned in another strong gallop today in his final preparation for a triple crown bid in the $1.5 million Belmont Stakes. The Colt will be the odds-on favorite tomorrow to become the 13th horse to sweep the Kentucky Derby Preakness and Belmont. Hall of Fame trainer Bob Baffert said he had another very smooth and good day today. Baffert is looking to saddle a second Triple Crown champion following American Pharoah in 2015. Former Nebraska Athletic Director Sean Eichhorst has found a new landing spot, joining the athletic department of a former Nebraska rival. Eichhorst has been hired by Texas, and he will become the Longhorns Executive Senior Associate Athletic Director for Internal Affairs. He was one of two major hires announced yesterday by the department, which is also cutting 44 spots in its athletic department. Fired last September by Nebraska, Eichhorst at that point had $1.7 million remaining on a contract that ran through June of next year. Speaking of contracts, a big turnaround season for the Nebraska women's basketball team earned head coach Amy Williams an ice raise. Starting this summer, her base salary will be just over $626,000. That's a 9% increase. Williams initially had signed a contract paying her around $575,000 a year. Her contract was also extended one year, keeping it at a five-year deal. Well, OTAs are taking place for the Kansas City Chiefs. Of course, they will have a new quarterback this season in Patrick Mahomes after veteran Alex Smith was traded away this offseason to Washington. 
and he says it continues to be a learning experience. I feel really comfortable of just our defense is throwing a lot of stuff out there. For me, it's just a learning experience every single day you get out for an OTA and uh, or it's a camp whenever we get to those. And so for me to learn from our defense and kind of help myself and learn from my mistakes and learn from the success I have is always been a good thing. A lot will be expected of Mahomes was a high draft pick a couple of years back. And the NBA Finals could wrap up tonight in Cleveland as the Warriors go for the sweep as they lead that series three games to none. That is a look at sports. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Partly cloudy skies in the forecast tonight with a chance of rain statewide. Lows tonight in the 60s. I'm Dave Schroeder. The Buffalo Bill Rodeo will be held in North Platte this Wednesday through Saturday at the Wild West Arena in North Platte. Rodeo Committee Chairman Jack Morris says that while each night's performance begins at 8 p.m., there will be other activities as well. But under the pavilion, there is uh, each night there's food of every type with the vendors. There will be some drinks served and, and refreshments and whatnot. Uh, a lot of folks come out early and kind of socialize in there before they come up and sit down in the rodeo. This year is the Velvet Spurs uh, drill team, riding drill team, 50th anniversary. And so they are uh, going to do a special drill right before the rodeo. The Buffalo Bill Rodeo is held during Nebraska Land Days in North Platte. More information on the rodeo and Nebraska Land Days events can be found online at nebraskalanddays.com. Demand for a Nebraska tax credit program has dwindled ever since the initiative was implemented three years ago. State officials are hoping to peak interest by holding promotional tours to showcase restoration projects that have been funded with the Nebraska Historic Tax Credits Program. The Nebraska State Historical Society and State Historic Preservation Office took a tour this past week of a Grand Island courtroom where the ornate ceiling was restored through the program. Jill Dolberg is the Historical Society's Deputy State Historic Preservation Officer. She says some of the most common projects are restoring courthouses. The program provides a 20% state tax credit for eligible projects, which municipalities can sell to receive cash. One of the state's gubernatorial candidates, Bob Chris, new top priority will be improving infrastructure in the state, including installation of more four-lane highways. When you get behind that large piece of equipment in an ag area, it's dangerous. And when somebody looks at you and says, I want to build a building, I want to build a plant, and they can't get in and out of there because of lack of access and roads and airports, they're not going to build it. So we want our infrastructure to be good and to drive economic development. Chris said a plan was put in place to widen highways in 2003 but never came to fruition. He was speaking at the Nebraska Association of County Officials workshop yesterday in Kearney. Two environmental groups will be allowed to intervene in a rate case involving West Star Energy in Kansas, which wants to impose higher fees on customers who install solar panels on their homes. The Kansas Corporation Commission said the Sierra Club and a group called Vote Solar may intervene in the case, but must consolidate their testimony and evidence. Current Radar plus your 10-day forecast anytime. Just tap the app or click weather at krvn.com. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. The Nebraska cattlemen are working with the Nebraska State Patrol to put some protocol in place. I'm Shaylee Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. 
And I visit here today with Laura Field. She is the Vice President of Legislative Affairs for the Nebraska Cattlemen. Laura, you talked about in your committee meeting this week at the Nebraska Cattlemen's Mid-Year Meeting, you talked about an incident that arose back this spring. And we don't need to go into a ton of detail, but essentially there was an issue with cattle getting left on a truck for an extended amount of time and had this been another time of the year it could have gotten very serious but it brought to light an issue that definitely needed to be addressed before it happened again and it would happen again and so now you're working with the state patrol to put some protocol in place give us some background and go into what exactly you're doing with this situation you got it. We had an incident, like you said, back in March. We had a, a got a call from a member, which we are always very thankful when members are not, if somebody's got an issue with anything going on in the cattle space, we love for them to, to call us. So we got a call one morning early that a truck had been detained at a way station. We knew for sure without asking any questions, there were undoubtedly some violations likely. There, Who knew what the real story was, but our number one concern was there were livestock standing on a truck. They had already been there for quite a few hours, and we were really concerned to get them to a space where we could unload them. We'd been in communication with the owner of the cattle. We knew they had been on the truck for quite a while being hauled, coming into Nebraska from another state. And so we started making phone calls. We called the governor's office we called some state senators we called other livestock groups the pork producers we support ag we said hey you guys we got to all get together and try to to come up with something so we requested a meeting with the carrier enforcement division of state patrol we got a great response from them. We met with the new colonel, Colonel John Bolduck, who immediately said, we just said to him, look, we, we need to have a better working relationship with your department. We have, we're going to have a lot of cattle. We always have a lot of cattle coming into this state. We're cattle deficit. We're bringing them in at all kinds of different times. And he said, you're right. So we sat down with some of his key staff members, and they asked us as a livestock industry if we would help them develop a protocol for what does happen if a truck is stopped. Um, undoubtedly, that will happen again, and somebody might be over on their hours of driving, or maybe there's a problem with the truck so can we make sure that there is an acceptable way to either get those cattle to a livestock market or to another feed yard or have them escorted to their final destination if that's what needs to happen so we've had a a lot of success in the discussion we've had three meetings and we've kind of are in a a late stage draft of that protocol we've been working with the state bqa folks on that we've been working with the pork producers and the poultry producers and again with we support agriculture to say let's all get together and figure this out so we have really appreciated that effort and i think it's going to really yield a great result for cattle producers here to be able to see that protocol and to know if you have a trucker detained and they call you, here's what we're going to do to get it solved. And not just protocol, cattlemen are leading the way on this, but really for any livestock coming into the state. Absolutely. We know there's a lot of pork that are moved in and out of the state. A lot of, a lot of pigs are coming and going with all of the focus on the new chicken barns going up in the state. We know there's going to be a lot of poultry moved. We also had the dairy industry at the table. Not as much of an issue for them because they're, they're not as much movement and we know the phases of, of development. But for us, with with cattle with beef cattle when you've got cattle going out to grass and coming off of wheat or going to slaughter there's so many different places for them to have an issue and so and you've got different cattle at different stages of development so a a heavy load of cattle is going to have more stress at a different time than one that you know they're just going out to the feedlot so we've got a lot of different things to consider and i think that's the thing for us this is an animal welfare issue we want to make sure those animals are well taken care of they've got water they haven't been standing there too long because the last thing we want to see is is an animal distress situation that could have easily been prevented and we certainly have gotten that same reaction from state patrol that's not what they want to see either and we were very appreciative of their their willingness to work with us and to also ask us to help develop the protocol that leads me right into my final question and the comment you made in the committee meeting was that 
there was a lot of great reception from them, and that's not always necessarily been the case. So the fact that they basically said, what's your protocol? Let us know how we can make this work for both parties. Absolutely. You know, that's the thing. We knew we knew that when we sat down at the table, we didn't want to rehash the incident that happened. We didn't want to talk about the specific details because we knew it probably wasn't the first time. It's definitely not going to be the last time. And, you know, as the state's number one industry, and we're certainly leading the, leading the country in cattle on feed and in all kinds of categories when it comes to cattle, we have got to have a relationship with our law enforcement. We've had a great working relationship with state senators and with the governor to get these issues handled. We've been fortunate, you know, you think of the recent times of drought or fires. We've always been able to go to them and say, hey, can we lift some restrictions to get hay hauled or can you work with us on that? So this was just one more step and I think having something permanent. And, and we have an obligation to our members to then say, here's the protocol. We need to make sure that you're educating your drivers on how to follow that protocol. Um, and if somebody's in the wrong, we're willing to admit that. We just want to make sure that we get it handled going forward. And so it is a nice thing to know that we can make those calls and see some results come from it. It's Laura Field, Vice President of Legislative Affairs for the Nebraska Cattlemen from their mid-year meeting happening in Grand Island. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Next, we discuss the livestock futures trade and how it did today with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe. Yeah, we're going to finish the week uh, positive on uh, livestock today, uh, starting with the cattle, uh, some triple-digit gains. Uh, uh, we had cattle uh, trading uh, 112, 113 so far today. A lot of anticipation that it might even be higher as the uh, packers seem to be very interested in uh, accumulating some inventory. So uh, that uh, started us off on a higher note and uh, uh, kept us going right on through the uh, close today. Uh, cutouts were just a little bit higher and uh, uh, so everything uh, remained uh, fairly positive, and uh, with that positive news, we ended up uh, with a positive uh, close. Same for the uh, feeders. They followed suit, but they uh, held back just a little bit, I think mainly because of the, uh, uh, the premium that they're carrying, but we managed to close uh, both the cattle and the uh, feeders higher for the week. Turning to the hogs, we're going to close higher for the week there, too, as cash continues to be uh, very firm and uh, uh, cut out higher again and uh, we had some triple digit gains out of the hogs so all in all uh, we had a fairly uh, decent uh, finish uh, for this week and uh, heading into next week uh, it's going to be uh, interesting to see if we can maintain uh, what we uh, ended up with this week. Thanks Joe. Joe Teal Great Plains Commodities. Total cattle slaughter through Saturday is estimated at 658,000 Last week was a holiday shortened week, 22,000 more than one year ago. Hog slaughter, 2,271,000, 70,000 more than the same period one year ago. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Chad Moyer with you here on the Rural Radio Network. It's time for our next Fridays in the Field segment, this time in northeast Nebraska to Hooper, Nebraska. And we're visiting with Nathan Scholl. Nathan, thanks for visiting with us here today. First of all, a little background about you and uh, your farming operation. Uh, I guess I'm north of Hooper, Nebraska. Got started farming. My dad farms. He still farms a little bit. And I have a younger brother that's starting to get involved with farming, too. He's got cows. Dad and I finish a few pigs. Kind of a niche market. It's non-confinement and also have to raise some non-GMO crops because our 
pigs are required to eat non-GMO feed. And then corn, soybeans, and we have 40 acres of wheat usually every year. Very good. So let's talk a little bit about the spring so far. How did things get started for you guys here in and around northern Dodge County? Well, it started off real cold. April looked like we were never going to get to do anything. And it finally warmed up. We got started planting corn, I'd say, 25th of April. Things looked really good. Got the corn planted. It rained three inches. Got some beans in. Rained a couple more inches. Got the rest of the beans in. And it's rained off and on since. So I think since we started planting, we've had close to six and a half inches here in Dodge County. Would you say those rainfalls have soaked in? Have have the Has the soil and the crops been able to benefit? Or did it come fast enough that there was a lot of runoff? There was a little bit of runoff with the first rain. And lately, it's been a lot better. So thankfully, things look pretty good. All right, very good. All right, and and talk a little bit about how they've come up, corn and soybeans. Did the emergence go well for you this year? Yeah, I would say a lot of the corn and beans came up really well here. Early, we had some crusting issues, but we were blessed with another rain to get things to come through. How about uh, what sort of weed pressure do you observe, uh, either in your operation or some of the surrounding areas? Are, Are weeds a concern in this part of the world? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's been a lot of issues with mare's tail and even water hemp, and there's even getting to be some palmer amaranth in this part of the state. But more noticeably, this spring would probably be the volunteer corn. With the wind last fall, there's just a lot of corn on the ground, and it's starting to come up. So do you think it's going to be a challenge to to control it? Are you going to have to use methods maybe that you hadn't used before? Well, I know there's people that have corn on corn, and I think there's going to be some cultivators in the field this year because there is a few ugly fields. One of the reasons that I asked you to be on with with us during this feature this year is your integration and use of, of cover crops. So talk a little bit about how that has become a part of your operation, Nathan. Well, with the pigs, we've always needed bedding, and consequently, we've had 30, 40 acres of wheat every year, and you know, we harvest that wheat usually the first part of July, and it's not under irrigation, so we've not put beans in, and we've been putting oats and radishes, turnips, some vetch, and since my brother's gotten cows, now we graze them and makes a wonderful source of feed for the cows in late fall. Was there a learning curve uh, for you to kind of figure out how to use that the best with, with the cattle? Did you try different mixes or how did, how did that all develop? My brother's gotten a lot of help. He's talked to Nathan Mueller and other people from the university and there is some nitrate issues in the fall if we get a freeze. You've got to be a little careful with that, but we've worked through that. So I think that kind of brings us up to present. Uh, maybe give us an idea of what is the focus for you here over the next couple of weeks now? Well, I've got a little bit of late corn to finish spraying. I've got some fertilizer to get on and got a little bit of corn to ridge. And then it's going to be on to bean spraying. Do you have irrigated acres? Yeah, I have about 300 acres that we irrigate. How's the soil moisture situation look like? Will you have to start those up soon? No, we're in very good shape. It'll be a while before we have to irrigate. Again, we've been visiting with Nathan Scholl. He is a producer from northern Dodge County. He is our feature here in northeast Nebraska on the Fridays in the Field segment here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Chad Moyer reporting. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. As we watched our soybean and wheat trade close lower today, corn was a little bit higher, but how did it do for the week? Let's find out. John Payne joins us. He's Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. So corn closed higher today, but that wasn't the case for the week, was it? No, not at all. Open 409, closed 497, so another uh, 10-cent down day. 
to tack on the, I think we lost about 17 the week before. Uh, did leave a gap in the chart from Sunday night, so if you're looking for a target, maybe make some sales or get back a neutral from a position you don't want to be in here. Uh, 410 on the December contract, maybe 390 July corn. I do think we'll see it. I'm optimistic about corn here. I like the price levels where we are. Uh, you know, the last time we traded here was early April and didn't stay here long before really taking off. Obviously, weather isn't concerning at this point, but I think demand is really going to show itself in the next week's WASD, as will Brazilian crop losses. So between those two factors, I think limited downside here in corn, um, maybe a quick test down here in the low 390s, but I wouldn't be getting bearish here. How about soybeans? How much did they lose on the week? Uh, beans were down quite a bit, uh, just in the last two days, down 20 cents, in fact. But uh, start of the week in the you know the mid 1020s, high 10 teens, and ended up down here at 990. So we'll call it a 40 cent loss for the week. Really uh, nasty price action in the beans the last two weeks, off the highs 1050 uh, two Sundays ago, and now we're back down to 980. A lot of that has to do with Brazilian currency factors. We did see the Brazilian rail come back a little bit today, but again, I'm looking at meal. Uh, possibly, if you're looking to sell some meal, would be one I'd look at. There's a gap in the chart down at 548 July. We're trading about 558 right now, so maybe a sharp move down lower early in the week, and then possibly some covering as we get into the back half of next week. I think WAS deal dictated, as will the FOMC meeting uh, that will be released on Wednesday. And you go through the entire week, and we almost virtually closed as like we opened the, for the week in wheat. Yeah, 40 cent range, 2 cent up day. So a lot of heartburn out there, but really no, uh, no damage to the charts. I, I think, uh, you know, from just somebody who looks at the fundamentals, I mean, it's a no-brainer. Wheat's got to come down, right? December Chicago wheat sits almost a dollar seventy over corn. I just somebody has to be able to explain that to me. If you're smart, you look me up, John Payne at DanielsTrading.com. Send me your thoughts on that. I, I would love to know why we need to have a dollar seventy factor in when you have stocks to use on Chicago wheat up around seventy percent, stocks to use on corn around twelve to fourteen percent. Like I said, I'm bullish corn if wheat's going to stay up here. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. So for the day, Kansas City wheat futures six and a quarter to eight and a quarter lower. Soybeans, four to five lower. But corn was three quarters to one and a half higher.